Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, we are we're just one of many podcasts now in the Bruin Report Online URV. In the in the Bruin Report Online what? URV. URV? I, oh. I don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Those are the kind of words that you just let be on a page and you never try to I don't pronounce. do that. I don't do that. It's I, I, Maybe it's like, a, what is it, O-E-R-V-E? Is that what I'm going for? Or am I going for an URV? I don't, Dave, you might be going for something that no one knows what you're going for. Maybe it's an OEUVRE. OEUVRE? Wait, okay. O, what do you, O-E-V? Okay, I looked it up. It's O-E-U-V-R-E. And it's pronounced oeuvre. Oeuvre. Okay, so not orv. <laughs> no. All right. Well, yeah. okay, oh, I don't know what I'm giggling about. I mean, I barely knew that word, and you actually actually tried to I dropped it in a sardonic it. manner. I dropped it in a sardonic <laughs> manner. Yeah. In a no. podcast. In a yeah. podcast. People are driving in the car right now and say, what the hell did that bearded guy just say? We are here on our sports podcast talking French words. It's very Let, exciting. Let's make this all about French words. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We? We, we? We, we. We, we. One thing Bruin fans were going we, we about this week, as in in their pants, was uh, was the news that Joshua Kelly. Best <laughs> transition of the year. Let's just shut it down now. <laughs> There's no way we're, we're ever going to equal that for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, was the news that our, our, uh, our, our man, Joshua Kelly, star running back for UCLA, um, suffered some sort of leg injury. Um, we heard some initial buzz that it was high ankle, then Chip Kelly seemed to indicate a knee. Whatever the case, he hasn't been practicing, has been kind of just on the workout warriors train, um, and may or may not have a heavy brace on his knee. It looks like we weren't close enough to tell. Um, it looks pretty heavy. Yeah. but <laughs> but kind but, of a full <laughs> leg thing. Yeah. yeah. Relatively heavy brace. So, all right. So, the first point of order, um, and this is something that's been a topic on the message board, do we believe, Chip Kelly, that it is a minor day-to-day knee injury? <laughs> um, in Chip Kelly's world, when it comes to injuries, you're either out for the season, so he'll say, oh no, he's out for the season, or you're day-to-day. There's, I don't think there's anything in between. I, I mean, there's I don't think I ever remember him saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be about three weeks. Oh, it could be like a month. He doesn't say that. Just anything that isn't out for the season is day-to-day. Right. And I don't think Joshua Kelly is, is day-to-day because the day-to-day guys, the guys who were even close to day-to-day are out in the yellow jerseys. They're doing, they're doing warm-ups. They're stretching. They're they're working with trainers on the sideline. That's the first step to get to day to day. And he's deep in the Wasserman Center during practice, like in, in the weight training room with a yellow jersey on, but really deep in there to even see him. And he ain't coming out. So I don't, yeah. Well, we've got one more step to get to day to day. Now, well, whether, whether that's a few weeks or more, um, you know, in Chip Kelly's world, it, it could be anything, but I, just there has to be a process. He's got to get on the field. 
working out and warming up before any contest. So the fact that he's not, we're at least, I would say, at least a few weeks away. Well, two and to I, three. I, I do want to discuss the this theoretical possibility of an unserious knee injury. Um, okay. What does that look like? Is that like a bruise? Like what well, is what is an unserious just, knee injury that you require a brace for? What did he say? What did he say? It he just banged his knee, didn't he say that? I don't I know. He said he just banged it. Um, <clears throat> you wear a brace. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, if if it were a tear of a knee, he wouldn't really be in a brace. He'd be like, he'd be going. More than likely, he'd be going for surgery. Well, um, no, because it could be. I mean, if we're if we're talking the full range of things, it could be a yeah. meniscus, it could be an MCL, it could be something that they want to try to see if it heals. I mean, if we're talking well, the full okay. range, so if if it's completely ruptured, he's going in for surgery. Sure. If okay. It's a so working back serious, from that, it's not an ACL, right? If it's or or like a completely ruptured MCL, but if it's a if it's a significant tear, he would be in like a big long brace. Like I, I can tell you from personal experience, an MCL, if it's, if it's a ruptured MCL, but it's still attached, let's say, but it's just like a bluey, you've got to keep your legs stiff so that the scar tissue scars it back up and then you go through PT, but it's not, you don't, because it's still attached, you, you don't go under the knife. That could be five to six weeks. Um, but then there's the whole range of sprains. He sprained his MCL. He can sprain every little bit of part of that knee. And that could be, I mean, what's the range on sprains? Two weeks to four weeks most of the time, right? Right, right. And uh, and just so everyone understands, a sprain is often just a, another word for a tear. It's just a, it's a slight tear of a ligament or in, in some minor cases, a, a deep stretching of a ligament. So, yes. you know... We all say sprain as if it's a minor thing. It's not really. No, um, it's still like you've 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 messed up your ligaments um, in a in a serious way. So anyway, um, there's a whole range of things We're that could be doctors here. Yeah, there's a whole range of things that could be going on here. But the info that he is um, not out, even doing like jogging or whatever on the sideline or any of that stuff, not necessarily a good sign. Um, for his just, imminent return to the field. I mean, you and I haven't done this, but when someone gets in their yellow jersey and they're warming up and they're working on the sideline, that's still usually, I mean, from the first day they do that, they do that for at least a week. They're still in the yellow jersey. I mean, that's usually at least two weeks. Yeah. And he's not there yet. So I'd say we're buttoned up right against the start, the uh, oh, you know opening, opening game. Right. So um, I think that's probably... Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a fair estimate, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, sometime sometime between the start of the season and, you know, for playing doctor and thinking it's not something super serious, but something serious enough to have a big brace, sometime between the start of the season and, like, the third or fourth game, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we're really helping out all the listeners here. We're yeah, we're doing, we're, doing, we're doing the Lord's work. Um, as Dr. Pearson, Dr. Woods. Um, the thing is, though, I, I mean... Uh, you're playing Cincinnati, tough game. I understand key game to winning that. I mean, key to the season to, to win that game. I mean, you just got to think the teams, the state, the mental state of the team is that if they, you know, this whole off season, they've been dealing with three and nine, 
They come back. They beat Cincinnati on the road. You've got to think that that's just so good for morale. Or they fly to Cincinnati, lose, and they probably are kind of feeling familiar with that feeling of loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a huge, huge game. But if he's not 100%, I, I just don't think you can rush him back even though that game is, is big. You'd rather give him one more week and get him entirely healthy you know, for uh, San Diego State. Um, I just I can't see them rushing him back. If he's not a hundred percent, no, right? yeah, I think yeah. it's going to be more more of a priority to um, nail conference play anyway. So yeah, yeah, I, I just uh, I, I think they'll probably be cautious with it. Um, but I would say, I, I mean, I, I don't think even if Joshua Kelly is so, I think Joshua Kelly is really important. I called him the fourth most important player on the team. Everyone else seemed to have the consensus that he was either first or second. So I'm you know a little bit more conservative on his impact, but. Um, obviously a hugely important player, but I would say this, if, if the worry around a Chip Kelly offense is who's going to be running the football, then that's pretty good. Um, because he's always been able to generate a rushing attack pretty much anywhere he's been, anywhere he's gone. Um, and you know, Martel Irby had a nice end of the year last year. Uh, he was, what was the last four games? He had 16 carries for... Off the, here. Uh, just off the top of your head. 16 carries for 94 yards. So he yeah. averaged uh, over, over five six. yards a carry in those last four yeah, games. Yep. So, I mean, look, if he had to come in and start a game, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, now, if, if Kelly's out for a considerable number of games, that probably does change the complexion of that early season a little bit. Um, you know, makes both Cincinnati and San Diego State a little bit more difficult, which changes the aggregate win total in some way. But I don't think this is the kind of thing that would even flop the spread more than a point or two. Um, right. I think uh, UCLA will still be dogs and still, you know, under one touchdown dogs. And, uh, you know, that's that's completely, I think, reasonable even without Kelly. Um, I, it's such a, it, again, we've talked about the same issue over and over, just uh, uh, injuries in college football. Um, just, uh, this is why teams like Alabama, you know, all the teams that are loaded, uh, obviously they're more talented than everyone, but they're, they're deeper in talent. You know, the, they have a couple, they suffer a couple of injuries. Well, next guy up is just as good as the first stringer and they're all five stars. That that's the difference between, teams that have good starting 22, but then you lose a few guys and now you've really had a drop off and it brings, it just makes you wonder how, again, how important is it to practice live? I mean, we don't even know how, how Kelly injured himself, but most of the time injuries are happening in, in live periods. And I, I really don't have the answer. I mean, Dave, do you, <laughs> I mean, because is it, does it, does it make sense not to go live that much or do you have to go live just to give them that sense of, of hitting and speed of the game and the whole thing? I really don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I know NFL teams largely don't do live work anymore um, in practice, but I don't, if they're all not doing it, then I don't know if there's any relative, you know, disadvantage. Um, and those are professionals. They, I yeah. Mean, and they've been doing it a while. Ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, th I mean, I'm sure there's some value to it at some level, but 
is the risk of injury worth it? But I would say also, I mean, you don't have to go too far back to know a UCLA season that was crippled by a couple of injuries on non-live drills. Um, football's just right. kind of a violent game, and it's violent on your ligaments. Um, you know, Ben Olsen and Patrick Cowan on back-to-back snaps in practice, uh, just doing a simple drop back toward their ACLs. Um so, I mean, weird stuff just happens um, when you've got that many bodies moving and, and all that kind of stuff. And it can happen in non... I mean, I don't know how much of it happens on tackling. Because um, a lot of it is guys will bang into each other, but that isn't necessarily a live drill either. Um, you know, it's interesting because, uh, as you all might know, I interviewed Mick Cronin yesterday, actually. And off the record, he was ask, asking me a little bit about uh, the football team. And we talked about Josh Kelly and, you know, we started to talk a little bit about basketball. Obviously people suffer injuries, but not like football. So how would it be for him to, (laughs) to coach a sport when you actually can't play that sport that often? Yeah. I mean, at how it's supposed to be played, you know, uh, I asked his assistant, Darren Savino, the same, the same thing. Um, I, it would be very hard. Coaching football might be might be difficult. Let's say you have a running quarterback. I mean, we saw Brett Hundley. He he was a running quarterback. They never really practiced Brett running in in practice. He had you know he had that jersey on that no hit quarterback jersey. They did not practice him running upfield. All of that what he did once he got to the second level uh, was purely improvised, one hundred percent. He had no I, – I mean, so much of a quarterback running is improvised. And you, you can't really uh, practice that because you don't want him to get hit. I don't know. It's a weird sport, Dave. It's a funny, weird sport. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it would obviously be a blow. And, uh, again, we're, we're kind of heading into speculative fiction here. Maybe, maybe he'll be back in like two weeks. Yeah. That, you know, he comes back tomorrow and starts practicing and then, you know, he's good to go in a couple of weeks. But um, if he is, I guess, under the hypothetical that if he is unable to go for Cincinnati, I just I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think you have to, like, you know, throw away your betting slips if you bet the over on season wins. Like it's, you know, losing losing a running back, even as one as good as Josh Kelly, I don't think in a Chip Kelly offense that it's, uh, you know, going to going to spell the end of the season. You ever see the movie Heaven Can Wait? I did. In that movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, when Warren Beatty, uh, the guy, the body he's playing has died on the field. They're taking him off on the stretcher. And then they put him back in the body. And, and he just hops up off the stretcher <laughs> and runs back. <laughs> That's what we're going to see from Joshua Kelly. He's just going to be rip the brace off and run out there. And everything's going to be okay. That'd be great. A little, little yeah. subterfuge. Um, yeah. I think that's how that movie went. I haven't watched it in like 20 years. But God, yeah. I don't know. It was a long time ago for me too. And if uh, we're talking about things on the football team that are might be a little funky, another story we kind of broke today was uh, Colson Yankoff and his uh, ineligibility for this year, basically the being held up because of Washington. Now, what's your take on that? Dave, I'm curious as to what you think. And you know all the details by reading the story, correct? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Um, I think anybody blocking anybody from doing anything they want to do in this weird little free market we now have in college football is ridiculous. Especially since Washington has a former true freshman who played, now going to probably start at quarterback 
for them who started with a different team. If you're going to be like that high and mighty about transfers, you got to play it both ways. Um, I think it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, he did sit out a year. Um, uh, so did Yankoff. He didn't play last year. He sat out. Right. No, I mean, he sat out at Washington. Right. Year. Yeah, you know, you can have a... Uh, be as punitive as you want, but he he didn't play last year, Yankoff. So he, he sat out a year from playing the same way Easton did. And just because it was on your campus, going to your school... I don't. I, I think that's really, really unfair. Um, you, you know, it's also unfair. What's really interesting is the Pac-12 used to have an intra-conference uh, rule that if you transferred intra-conference, you would have to sit out two years. And that, to my surprise, I thought that was long dead. But I think that was just like taken off the Pac-12 books pretty recently. Um, so yeah, how about, how about that for punitive two years? Yeah, it's ridiculous, but, but the head coach can sign off on it. And if the head coach and the university sign off on it, then the PAC 12 is going to take that recommendation and probably allow the player to transfer with in the conference, uh, without sitting out a year. And then the NCA will probably take that also as a suggestion and probably, wave their year that you have to sit out so i understand maybe uh colson yankoff didn't necessarily I, I think the washington response has been something like he didn't have any extraordinary circumstances on why he needed to transfer um but uh, i know you're all doesn't need extraordinary circumstances his but, extraordinary circumstances that he wasn't going to play for three years yeah that's an and, that's and, an extraordinary enough circumstance and, and I don't think they probably, from what I've learned uh, about the facts of the case, they didn't even really give him a chance. <laughs> they just, without him even asking for the waiver, they sent him something in writing that says, we're not going to give you that waiver. We're not going to endorse that waiver. So, yeah, they were pretty dead set against it. Um, so, I, you know, what did Mora do? Mora let Kylie Fitz go. Correct. I think mm-hmm. there were a couple, a couple more. Yeah, he Doesn't, was. He was. I don't think he, under any circumstances, he was a huge jerk about it. I think he yeah. pretty much allowed it whenever he could. The NCAA was a slightly more stringent unit back then, so they didn't allow the immediate eligibility with the at the rate they are doing now. Um, right. But no, I mean, if if Washington is doing that, I think it's. I mean, obviously hypocritical, and who you know, whatever. But. Um, no, it's it's stupid. It's unfair. It looks bad. Um, it's a bad look. Um, I mean, he'll he'll lose a year of his college eligibility. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that I think he would beat out DTR this year. I don't think he would. But just having him available first for the team would be good. But also taking live reps as the second string guy, maybe if he could, you know, beat out Burton, that's valuable for him. Now he's going to be the scout team guy. Um, and just his college experience. That, that let's say he, he would be eligible to get in for a series, a play here or two. I mean, he's probably one of the fastest guys on the team. They might put in a little package for him, you right. know, that even if he doesn't beat out, which he probably wouldn't, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, but they could use him in some way. And just from his own college experience, he's not going to be able to have that. No, so, it sucks. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, people who have been listening to me for a while know that I, I, I would – 
I feel this way regardless. Like if it's somebody transferring out of UCLA, they should be immediately eligible. If it's somebody transferring to Akron, they should be immediately eligible. It's stupid. This is all and very, I'd very dumb. I'd understand maybe USC and UCLA. You're 13 miles away. You play each other. Big rival game every year, immediately eligible. Can maybe see that. But UCLA is not going to play Washington this year or next year. Uh, yeah. He's going to be eligible by the time UCLA plays them. So that, yeah, it is. It, the more you talk about it, it it's no, it's 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 just it's uh, just a jerk thing to do. I mean, they're not going to play this year unless UCLA somehow makes the South title game, yeah. and Yankoff is probably not going to start anyway. It's just an opportunity for him to actually work into the depth chart, um, where you know he might be the second or third string guy, and then he's actually getting team reps instead of um, scout team reps. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just something to dissuade future Washington players from transferring, and I guess because they're the top of the rung for the Pac-12 now, they feel they have safety to do this, but I imagine that's going to turn some kids off, and if this kid, uh, here's something I would say, yeah, if this, I don't kid, think if this would, kid wasn't from yeah. Idaho, if he was from California, I don't know if they'd yeah. be doing this. If he was from a well, big-time program are, in, in California... Their family is originally from California. Did he go to some big time high school in California? No, he did his high school in Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, but the family was originally from California. Right. Um, yeah, it's. I, I agree with you, Dave. You've come. I'm. I've come all the way over to the bearded side. There you so, go. There you yeah. go. All right. Um, and a lot of fans are talking about whether, you know, that will hurt them in recruiting. I personally don't think any kid out there right now in 2020 class is potentially thinking that that might dissuade him from going to Washington. No, and that's, I, they have the cover to do it because first, it's the top tier program in the league right now. Second, it's some, you know, guy from Idaho. And third, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it, it wouldn't be on the top of the list for any recruit anyway. Yeah. So, um, speaking of kind of recruiting, there's an, another, we, we really did some very interesting stories here today on bro Patrick Yu's story on that JC linebacker, Mitchell Agude, um, kind of a really interesting story came out of high school was a defensive back grown a couple itches, put on 25 something pounds. Um, Went to a JC, uh, signed with Maryland, was going to enroll in Maryland, found out that some of his units just did not transfer. So then decided to go back, have to earn those units, talked with UCLA. UCLA said, you you know, you, you do all these classes between now and next January, you're in. Um, and here's the unusual part. The kid agreed. <laughs> Remember, usually JC guys, when UCLA said, okay, this is the coursework you're going to need, a lot of them say, I'll just go to Arizona. (laughs) But he agreed, Um, which first off, my very first impression of him, besides watching his huddle film, that just impressed me right there, that he agreed to take all that on. Um, And then his huddle, I like him. Uh, I think he's kind of... At least from his huddle, I haven't seen him. I did see him in person, actually, in street clothes at last Wednesday, the first day of practice. And he looked good physically. 
But I like his huddle tape. He's like what UCLA is looking for in an outside linebacker, 6'3 to 6'4, 225, and, and burst and quickness. So that, that would be a good, a good addition. They need um, it. They need it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, the 2020 class will need some help like with offensive line. And we've got a little eight clap eighth coming up in two days. And Patrick and I have been doing our due diligence diligence on which players they could offer. And it's going to be a little skimpy probably because we're, you know, we're coming out of summer. They did all their evaluations. They offered the guys they wanted. And now they're probably waiting for the first couple of weeks of the high school senior, uh, the high, you know, the high school you uh, guys, I'm, I'm going to drop an analogy on you. You guys are like members of okay. you guys are like members of the Night's Watch, watching the North in like the thousands of years before the Ice Zombies came. Like, there's if just anyone, not much. You're just watching any, it. If anyone could do a little Photoshop of Patrick, you in a Night Watch, both of you, both of you, just no, no, standing no, no, next no, no, to no, each no. other in your black cloaks on the wall, watching for the arrival of Eight Clap Eighth. And it just no never just really Patrick. arriving. It's just he Patrick's so great, man. We'll be texting him talking about we're talking about something really UCLA related. And then he will randomly send me this huddle of some guy from Saskatchewan that he happened to watch that he thinks, you know, could be a power five guy. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> he that's, is that's something I never did for you, Tracy. No, no, you did not. You apps I can say you were pretty slack in in going out to watch huddle video from a kid from Saskatchewan. Not not my strong suit. Not yeah. my strong suit. Um, I just realized this story that Patrick wrote is like a million words long. That's the other thing about him, too. Uh, you know, we rely on some of our illustrious recruiting experts at 24-7 uh, who do a great job in covering a lot of guys. But when we, as bro, go out and talk to some of these guys we need more in-depth stories like the kind of stuff that patrick's doing and i could see on the forum it's very much appreciated by a lot of the readers uh, those in-depth uh interviews that patrick does so and then here's the other thing too some of those are done through direct message on twitter <laughs> wow does that does that sound painful that or, or, that blows me away yeah yeah wow yeah well, one um, interview you didn't do over direct message on Twitter. What? 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 Was the oh, Mick Cronin interview? There's that segue. Look, I am magic at this right now, Tracy. <laughs> yes, yes. I I actually interviewed Mick Cronin and his associate head coach, uh, Darren Savino. Not at the same time. Darren wasn't hiding behind the sofa or anything. I did two separate ones. Um, but it was, you know, it was great. They invited me in to uh, Coach Cronin's office, sat there with him. And if you watch part one, you can see he just freely is talking about, you know, a, a lot of things, how he was the birthday present. I asked him if, you know, he was they were going to have him jump out of the cake at that birthday party, which would have been great, right? <laughs> um. But just it was, you know, not to cast any aspersions, but it's so nice to be able to just talk, da- talk, sit down, talk to somebody who will like look you in the eye, look you in the eye, talk and just 
that he's a real guy. He's a real person and a human being. And yeah. And understands that, you know, bro is semi important and I should talk to this guy. But other than that, just it's who he is. He obviously has done a lot of media. Um, he was just in a, he uh, went on some radio show that they uh, taped live in a bar in Orange County, deep, deep behind that orange curtain. Um, so he's he's doing a lot. He's very, very active. He even talked about in that, in that interview how he really hasn't had any time to do much other than UCLA basketball. Isn't that great um, to hear, though? Like, wow. isn't that isn't that what a first year coach should be doing? Wow, I, I can't even tell you. There are so many things on the record that he that he and Coach Savino said, but so many things off the record that are so different. Um, I'll, I'm going to tell you this off the record. So, Coach Savino and I are walking around UCLA yesterday, and we're talking about playing hard and playing defense, and. I, I just said there's this, you know, this one player, if you can get him to play defense, hallelujah, hallelujah, that could change the entire, you know, face of that team. And he, he looked at me like I, like he didn't understand what I was saying. And he, he just said something like, well, if, if, if any of them don't play defense, they're not playing. <laughs> and I said, what? You're going to have to repeat that again because I don't understand those words. Yeah, it's going to be nice to see it again because really that's not – that's since how into year like five that it hasn't been the case. Well, it's so – what I noticed, it's so, it's so intermeshed and woven into my mindset about UCLA basketball right now that you are – that they're playing players that don't play hard on defense. Yeah, it's so cool. And – <laughs> and that that's not going to happen. Uh, and of course it won't happen. Yeah. But how absurd it was that I would actually bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, I think, I mean, it's, it seems obvious we're going to see a team that prioritizes guys like David Singleton instead of like having them be, you know, the seventh most in minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so be watching for those. We have three parts of coach Cronin. We have probably two parts of coach Savino. Uh, Coach Savino literally breaks down every guy on the team, all 12 players. There. I know. It was amazing. It was, I didn't even think – I was kind of le- leading that way, and he just, he just took it and every single guy there and gave it to you straight. I mean gave it you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they have to learn. Well, come on. Give us, give us some taste. Give us a taste. Wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, they, they really like Jules Bernard. Uh, okay. they think yeah. he's a great kid, tough, physical, and that his number one priority, he just needs to slow down. <laughs> yes. Um, and that, so they, they both emphasize there, you know, there's good shot, bad shot, turnovers, playing hard on defense. I, they said those things so many times. I just, I couldn't take it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
just so what was really funny too was in one part i can't remember which player i was talking about with coach cronin and he said you know at cincinnati we'd cut off our right arm to have that kind of that kid so then completely independently i'm interviewing coach savino and we're talking about kenneth uh Nuba, and he said you know in cincinnati we would have given our right arm to have that kind of kid and i go that's funny coach cronin just said he's like yeah you got that from me <laughs> Which was really funny. Um, they they haven't seen Tiger Campbell and David Singleton much. They're, Tiger Campbell's getting to the point where he can now start uh, training with them. He's still non-contact. Uh, David Singleton, same thing. So that's, you know, obviously, those are two big components of their team this year. You know, that's probably... You know, everyone who possibly could play the role of point guard. Yeah. Um, so kind of key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are, uh, Coach Savino is very impressed just with Jalen Hill. Yeah, he his, was my number two his, last year. His athleticism, the body, his ability to move at that size, just... You know, you can tell he, he talks glowingly about him, but off, uh, you know, still says he's he's still pretty raw. He's got so much to learn uh, and and develop. You know, the emphasis from both of them was really, uh, for lack of a better umbrella headline, is just toughness and durability. Like when you're on the road and you're tired, are you going to have that extra gear to? to really win? Are you going to be that competitive? And they kept emphasizing how, and you know, how they're going to instill that and how important that is. And I kept asking, <laughs> I probably asked it too many times. Do you think you can do that with this team right now? <laughs> so they said they don't know. Um, but they did say there's a lot of talent on the team. Uh, I almost brought up, you know, Ben Howland's first year making that transition to his schemes and his culture. What did they go that first year, like 14 and 18? Yeah. It started off strong, and then it just kind of fell out from under him. Yeah. Um, but I didn't bring it up with them. But I, I, they, they kept – and it's just not coach speak it, because that is so much of the way Cronin's style of play is, is to – play hard and play defense and be tough and push through and win on the road. <laughs> it's counterintuitive, but I would actually have lower expectations for the season if Wilkes and Hans, one or both, had stayed, if only because the culture change, I think, would then take much longer. But the thing yeah. is, the leadership on this team probably will run towards the Jalen Hills and David Singletons of the world who do play hard who that's already part of their makeup. Um, so I don't think they're going to have the buy-in issues necessarily that Howland had that first year where it was TJ Cummings and, you know, Trevor Reese and TJ Cummings were huge parts of that team. And neither of those guys ever met, well, at least in college for Reza, uh, never liked the defense. They never met a defensive play they liked. So um, I, I think they'll, um, they'll have a little bit of an easier time. And what I like about what you're saying is that they're not underselling the talent on the team. You know, sometimes it, it yeah. can be for a first-year coach. To and sandbag. It, yeah, yeah, to sandbag the talent um, in his first year uh, to kind of set expectations. But it doesn't sound like they're doing that, which 
I like to hear. Um, I, I think that's the right attitude to go into the UCLA job in either sport. Um, with on you know, and off, the we record, can make this happen. Did, yeah, on and off the record, they they I think they are genuinely impressed with the work ethic of the players so far. They said Cody Riley and Jalen Hill are are just gym rats. They're constantly in the gym, constantly working, um, which which is really good to hear. I mean, I've always liked those guys, those players. I, I mean, I, I'm, I was a Jalen Hill fan, you know, watching him la- last year. But that's good. that's good to hear because there have been some guys on the team in the last few years that you wouldn't necessarily think are going to put in that extra amount of work. Right. Um, so I think they genuinely are impressed, impressed with their players. Yep. So all good. And listen to those because we're going to have a lot. We've got part one today, part two and three of coach Cronin and then two parts. So we're going to have a lot of minutes of of basketball coaches looking blankly into a camera and answering my questions in an awkward way since they're just a camera sitting in their face. Cool. But, we always love it. Yeah, Always love it. Um, Remember everyone was always saying, God, why can't you do more interviews like you did with Mora that day in his office? Well, there you go. There you go, everybody. There you go. Um, I don't have a good transition for this one, Tracy. Uh, you know, the, the, I think this basketball team is going to have the character to keep battling and battling through. That's Dave. right. And you know what? What sort of battles are happening right now? Position huh. battles, Tracy. Position battles. On the football field. All right. We saved it. We got there. Um, so you're going to have a little story dropping, but we can maybe talk about a few of these, uh, the key ones that are going to be, um, you know, important. Uh, for this season, uh, probably primary among them left tackle, um, yeah. which honestly hasn't shaped up as much of a battle so far at all. I mean, has Sean well, Ryan wa- even worked in with yeah. the two deep yet? Uh, <laughs> you mean from you know the secret cameras I have around Wasserman that I uh, that I can watch? You know when um, they're like when they're like stuttering around, like right at the beginning when they're not even like actually doing any drills. You know those twenty minutes you can see. No. <laughs> and even if I watch the 20 minutes of them over in the offensive line, they're going through all, it's still, you know, it's still all Alec Anderson. Uh, so, yeah, I think, though, that that still is going to have to shape up into a battle, I would think. Um, only because he's the new starter and you would throw out the the most – the guys who would compete, who could best compete for that spot, and that would be Sean Ryan because I don't know if there's anyone else on the team who could compete for that spot. So that's an obvious battle. Right. Uh, I've been saying I think Alec Anderson is still going to win it. Just, but there is the other option, and you brought it up in the preview, and I think I, I reiterated it that about the possibility of moving Jake Burton to left tackle and. There's a lot that goes into that. Is first, is Jake Burton as comfortable at left tackle? I mean, a lot of times some players aren't. They they either are left or right footed, and they favor one way. And is it really that big of a deal? Is it that big of a deal that you move Jake Burton to left tackle if he's not 
as effective there as he would be at right tackle. Um, is has that whole thing blindside left tackle protecting? Is that is that overrated or is that is that still hold up? What do you think? Um, I think it still holds up. Okay, I mean, covering the backside of a quarterback is still going to be um, the number one thing. I think that's the main reason, though. It's just because you have a right-handed quarterback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I still think that's important. Um, so having a good pass protector on that side. Let me ask you this. And not to disparage those who have departed us, but was Andre James that good last year? No, no. And that was the big thing is that he moved to left tackle and got considerably worse. He was better as a guard and certainly better as a right tackle than he was as a left tackle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he hurt himself um, last season. And that's part of why he had, you know, no NFL draft success. So, yeah, I don't think he was very good. And that's why I was not super down on the idea that their offensive, the starting offensive line at least could be better than last year, even with breaking in a new starter. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I think if they can get credible play out of the left tackle position, I think that'll make this line potentially better than last year. Um, and then and then the position that probably is the most, is considerably wide open and probably entertaining is outside linebacker. Um because you've got you've got some guys who are out there who are competing. You've got Josh. Uh, right now, the starters are Josh Woods and Langi Toaloa. Keyshawn Lucier South will step in when he comes back, which could be you know maybe three games in or or more. Uh, there's the walk on Jay Smalley who had some good moments at the end of last season. There's Jason Harris, the grad transfer. I think those, what is that, five guys? Yeah. One, two, three. Probably make the rotation. Uh, for and the keep season. in mind that Odua Izibor appears to have switched positions to defensive line. He he's a, absolutely has. Yeah. He hasn't done one like edge drill. As well as Elijah he's, Wade, correct? And Elijah Wade. And yeah. there, <laughs> I mean, any picture I take of Elijah Wade doesn't, doesn't capture him. Yeah, he's an enormous man. He is 6'5", 270, and there, there isn't I, – I would bet he's under 10% body fat. Yeah, there's, there's some room to grow. <laughs> Holy crap, man. His shoulders and arms, uh, he's – yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, so uh, there are enough guys. Um, wouldn't it just be the best story, seriously, if Josh Woods – has a good season at outside linebacker. I'd love it. Josh is a good kid. Um, that'd be great, um, especially given all the injuries he's had. I mean, I think he's still only played like 19 games in his entire career. So He looks great physically. You know, he moves well. It's just a matter. I think he's probably better suited at outside linebacker. Uh, inside line, I, I don't think he was quite hard-nosed enough to play inside linebacker. I think he's better in space. So... It's probably a good, you know, we've been saying it for a while. And then when they moved him there, we said, haha, we were right. <laughs> and then John Ward, when they were recruiting him at inside linebacker, and then they had him at outside linebacker in spring. And we said, wow, it's a matter of time before they probably move him back to inside linebacker. And they moved him back a couple of days ago. And we said, hey, we're right again. Yeah. Um, here's one thing that's interesting. Hayden Harris. I think he was a two. I think he started out as a two-star recruit. Yeah. 
he looks pretty good. <laughs> and admittedly, I'm seeing him go through drills. I, all I have to go on are his his physical attribute, his upside of his of his body, and how quick how he looks athletically in the drills. And I'm impressed. I have to admit, I I thought he'd be a skinny little kid, and, and he's not. But he's not overly developed. He's right where you would want an outside linebacker in this scheme who is going to have a couple of years to develop. You know, probably 6'4 and 220 right now with a good frame. And, you know, it was the kind of thing when you're just watching them, like, turn their hips and run and or just keep flipping hips as they're backpedaling. And you're not even looking at numbers and you just go – Wow, he did that really quickly. And then you look up and said, wow, that was Hayden Harris. So that was that was promising. Uh, Noah Keeter, not as much. He uh, And I'm only giving a review of these guys because when we get out there for the 20 minutes, they're right in front of us. Right. That's why I'm not favoring – I'm not necessarily favoring outside linebackers and not giving you any information often because offensive line is literally in the opposite corner. And there's no way we can see them. But – Noah Keeter is 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 going to be a pro, uh, uh, just a project. He's tall, narrow, thin. Didn't necessarily. He looks more like a tight end trying to play defensive end. Let's put it that Got way. It. Um, but that I mean, Keyshawn Lucy or South comes back. Josh Woods has a solid season. If they can get something, Jason Harris is a good looking kid too. Um, I mean, do you remember? And I'm I'm not making. A comparison, but who's been the best pass rusher linebacker in UCLA last eight years? Uh, Anthony Barr. He looks a little anth- physically when if you just glance at him, you go, God, he kind of looks like Anthony Barr. Six All four. Right, so Tracy five. Tracy Pearson. Oh God, no! Quoted as saying, Hayden Harris is the next Anthony Barr. This. And it was Josh. It was Jason Harris. Anyway. Jason Harris. Jason Harris. Sorry, um, sorry, but, I misquoted you. Tracy Pearson quoted as saying, <laughs> Jason Harris is okay, the next not, Anthony Barr. You're not funny sometimes, you know? I think I'm pretty funny. Okay. Uh, safety, there's Blaylock, St- Stephen Blaylock, uh, because we, uh, the team needs to replace a Darius Pickett. Uh, Morell, Osling, and I think those are the two biggest candidates for that, but... It looks like Blaylock is is got that one kind of sewn up. R- really interesting at a uh, weak side linebacker, the inside linebacker spot. Tyree Thompson coming off having started last season, and then one of our personal favorites, Javari Anderson, because he's undersized, big time hitter. I thought would be competitive at that spot, and in the last couple of days, Tyree Thompson looks like he's been a little dinged up. And Javari Anderson has had some reps with the ones. So that's probably a definite spot to watch. Uh, running back would be a big spot, obviously, with Joshua Kelly down. And the the, uh, the biggest news coming out of the run backing, it, it, running back group, Demetri Felton is exclusively with the running backs in those 20 minutes that, that I'm watching. Dave, do you want to say something? I'm just, I'm just saying, Tracy. It's just a package they work into. It's not, it's not something permanent. It's just a package. 
Um, didn't you at one point, haven't you repeated over and over that you thought he'd be a running back and you'd like to see yes, him running? Back? Yes, yes, yes. And, and then I was oh, so excited when I saw it in spring that I'm like, hey, Chip, the like three practices I was out there for, hey, Chip, what about uh, Demetric Felton? Did you say, hey, Chip? Yeah, did you like, a, like an excited little boy. And he goes, hey, oh, th- that's, just, that's just a package. We've been doing that all year. We've been doing that last year. We did it, we, we did it back when he was 15 years old, back when I, I, I didn't coach him then, but we did it. Yeah, we did it with him. He was yeah, okay. day-to-day then, he's day-to-day now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, if he plays running back, I think that's a great move. I've always, from seeing him back in seven-on-seven seven days, I was like, you know, you can try that at receiver, but he has the body type, um, the look and feel, the way he moves, the quickness, the the acceleration, all of that screams running back to me. It always has. Yeah, he's just a little light. He's hundred. He's a little pounds. light, but, like, the dimensions yeah. make more sense. Um, and... I think you can pack five or ten pounds on him without losing too much speed anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Um, tight end, Devin Asiasi steps into that Caleb Wilson void. Uh, I think Jordan Wilson is a guy you have to watch, though. I think he's going to have an impact. Both of those guys are fairly good blockers. So those are guys who can be in for any formation or play, not necessarily have to come out. Yeah. And we saw, we saw a level, a lot of double tight. I mean, we saw a lot of, a lot of that formation, and I, they ran it so much against USC. <laughs> to, As our man uh, Chris Osgood pointed out in depth, those stories yes. are great. Aren't those stories great? Yeah, Chris killing it. The dude. Um, and you know, there's good depth. Matt Lynch, I think, is going to play. David Preby, kind of a. You know, has some talent, and they love themselves some Greg Dulcich. I like yeah. Greg Dulcich. You just like saying Dulcich. No, he had that one really good play. At Stanford, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so but I think Devin, Devin Asiasi has had uh, buzz around the program about him, just about how good he is from practice, literally since he, he got here two years ago. So, here you go, Devin Time to deliver. Yep. Uh, uh, wide receiver rotation after the initial starters, who it looks like it's locked in at Theo Howard, Kyle Phillips, and Chase Coda. Uh, yeah, I, I, how big of a rotation of receivers do they have? I mean, usually it's five to six, maybe. Well, in Yarber's day, Three to four? <laughs> in pure in pure three three wide receiver set, four wide receiver set spread, it was I think they went like eight deep, seven, eight deep. Um, like reasonably, uh, where those Last guys year. all kinda got time. Last year though, I would say it was like six. Let me look yeah. at let me look at UCLA's stats, because that'll kind of give us an indication. Yeah, I didn't know there were so many guys hurt too. You know, yeah, it's hard that, to tell, um, but I'll be able to kind of gauge that from this. Let me see. Receiving last season. Uh, hang on. Hang on. So many people want to hear us make. This is so good. This is such good radio. Noises with they our... love this. Every bit of it. All right. So receiving, there were. Uh, what do we got? Um, there were seven over 10, uh, catches last year. Um, but only six of those were running backs or six of those were actually five of those were receivers. If you drop Caleb Wilson as well. Um, so five, 
Yeah, they probably went. I mean, the thing was, Diamond Lee started games last year, and he yeah. was below ten catches because he really didn't do anything. Um, yeah, but yeah, He's it was looked- it was probably a five or six man rotation. You know when guys are are veterans and in the drill, they kind of step up and they're like one of the first two guys in the drill now and everyone kind of knows and they know what they're doing and they kind of have that that confidence. Diamond Lee's that guy right now too. Right. Um, and he, and he, he looks you know he looks good. Uh, the guy that I like is just Jalen Irwin. He and Kyle Phillips, it's that same thing. When you glance over and you watch a drill, you're not even necessarily paying attention to who they all are and you go, he was quick. And he stood out, and he was quick. And it's it's Jalen Irwin, Irwin and Kyle Phillips almost every time. Yeah. So then throw in uh, Dylan Hurt, and there's probably your rotation. And Ethan Fernier, the the former walk on. Uh, so that's probably oh, and we're and Michael Zeke, if he can stay healthy, <laughs> because he was hurt last year. Yep. And now and he now he's up. in yellow, yeah. yellow again. So I I mean. Uh, a position battle is like who's in that rotation, I think. Um, yeah. But Jalen Irwin is is really the interesting one. Yeah, for um, sure. I, I think I'm, uh, you know, maybe punt returner. I think that's just Kyle Phillips, right? Probably. Um, I mean, if he's if he's fully ready to go, like and do that, I think so. Um, he was going to be the number one returner last year, year before he got um, hurt. Yeah. I don't know if coming off of an injury, they might be leery of it. I don't know. Well, you know, you can always kind of tell when they're doing punt return in, in practice, you know, and they've got 29 guys there, and he's the first guy who always gets the first punt. Probably the best combo of uh, hands and quickness there. I mean, I love. Dar- I would I love, love just, given how little they return the ball, I would love it if just Darnay took all of them. Um, but Phillips probably has slightly safer hands than Darnay. You need someone with safe hands on punts, not necessarily yeah. with kickoffs, obviously, and that's why Darnay's there. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Well, cool. All right. Well, that was all we had to talk about. We got nothing else. Nothing else for you out there, people. <laughs> We're done. We're out. Yeah. It's a little strange, you know, not being able to watch all of practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bummer. I, I think it's short-sighted by all these different teams and coaches doing this, but it is the way of the world now. Yeah. Um, the pack, the 24-7 sports Pac-12 publishers have been communicating about it for the last couple of years, and I think maybe the last two or three publishers who said their programs had fall camp open are uh, said that they're all going – they're all going the way of closing practice. Like I think the one that's open, the most open now is it's open for a week and a half and then they're closing. So everyone's going toward closing. Yep. All right, everybody. You looking forward to that Cincinnati game? I am. I am. I'm driving up, driving up to Ohio. Beautiful. How long is that ride? We talked about this before. Six hours and change. During the whole fam? No. I'll be searching. Yeah. By yourself. Drive up on a Thursday, come back on a Friday. It'll be great. Wow, Dave. Yeah. You love driving, though, don't you? I do. And driving without a whole bunch of people in the car, that sounds magical. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a magical Misty Mountain ride. You're going to get to know yourself again, won't you? I will. I will. I will hear the sound of my own thoughts, uninterrupted. Should Wait, so you're driving up on Thursday? I will be driving up Thursday. And then the game Thursday night, and then 
do you want, maybe you should meet up with some bros like for brunch on Friday morning. Mm, mm. Or just get lit before the game on Thursday. You've never done that before. I've never done it before. There's a first time for everything. I still have that image of you over in the press box. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no recollection of the event in question. (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. I'm going to go have a drink. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, who's off getting drunk, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site, 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Love y'all.